This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Dean Cerrone, thanks very much for coming on Talkie Book, making your debut. Uh, we'll get into your protocol pick soon, but uh, I thought if you could start with Merkle Tree and tell us a little bit about your, your genesis story, your investment philosophy, and, and how you guys look to invest. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Um, so a little bit about my background and how I entered cryptocurrency. Um, my business partner, Ryan McMillan, and I got together um, last year and formed the fund. But prior to that, I, uh, I ran a tech startup, which was a mobile phone application. And, and it was a consumer-based app. And we were looking for monetization pathways. While we were doing that, we explored um, you know, in-app ads, subscription-based models, and, and then cryptocurrency is an interesting um, way to achieve monetization as well. And at the time we partnered, this is back in 2018, we partnered with a, a project called Kin, which, which ran on the Stellar blockchain back then. And um, as part of that experiment, we, it, it worked okay, but we were still very early, but we had the opportunity to run a Kin uh, validator node um, on the Stellar blockchain. And we did that for a little while. And then in 2019, Kin migrated their, um, their infrastructure across to Solana, as, and uh, Solana was a new emerging token, and, and we then um, stopped running the node, and, and um, that was the exposure that we had to Solana back then. Um, so held, held a, a series of different cryptocurrencies from that previous startup, which sold in 2019. Come, come 2021, at the tail end of um, lockdowns and COVID, uh, Ryan and I uh, got together. Uh, Ryan comes from a very much a traditional background, traditional finance background in, in product um, development, uh, hedge funds, that kind of thing. And, and my background's more tech entrepreneurship um, and, and cryptocurrency. And we got together and, and set out to, to start up the fund, which is Merkle Tree Capital. Uh, we launched in August. We're a, um, we're a cryptocurrency diversified portfolio. We, we manage that um, in a long only type investment thesis. We, um, we believe very much in the blockchain technology and cryptocurrency is an asset class and we believe that it's going to be, um, it's going to be everywhere in, you know, in the five to ten year time frame. And, and so what we're doing is we're, we're investing predominantly in assets that sit in the top hundred um, by market cap. Uh, we focus very much on assets that have already proven themselves over a number of years, um, have growth and adoption metrics that we're comfortable with, and we, we have a diverse um, exposure to those assets. Um, and, and that's um, all custodied um, you know, by institutional grade custody. So we, we, we're trying to offer investors a, a safe and smart way to get access to the, the asset class and blockchain technologies um, in, a, in a long, um, a long type investment um, approach. And there are different types of crypto investors. There are some that are are almost religious in their, their enthusiasm for, for crypto and convinced it's going to transform every industry across the globe. And then there are other investors that, that have a portfolio across a number of assets and want this to be a, a small allocation of an overall portfolio strategy. What are the most types of investors that, that come to Merkle Tree? Where do they sit out of those two brackets? Yeah, very much. Uh, we, we speak to a lot of planners. We take a, a modern uh, money portfolio type approach to cryptocurrency investing. So we're looking to provide a small allocation to someone's broader portfolio. Um, so a typical allocation to cryptocurrency for, for our normal investor would be, for example, a self-managed super fund, taking anywhere between a 1% to 5% allocation to, to cryptocurrency in a, in a blended portfolio like ours as part of their, their broader portfolio. And, and that gives them exposure to the, the potential upside in five to 10 years down the track that, with that, that long-term view um, and, and only minimising the downside um, volatility with a, a smaller allocation. 
And, and the, I think the beauty of the product that, that we've um, built and, and provided to the marketplace to wholesale investors is that investors don't need to be thinking about which coin to be in all the time. Is, is Bitcoin going to be there the leader in 10 years still? Is it going to be Ethereum or Solana or some other emerging uh, layer one blockchain? Investors can just know that, that, um, that they've got exposure to the, the asset class and the ecosystem and, and, and we'll manage that for them and, and make sure it's you know, securely custodied. And we'll get into your protocol pick in a minute and, and the one you want to dig deeper into. But we're sitting here today on, uh, what is it, is it the 10th of May? Yeah, I think it is. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> the crypto markets are puking yes. as a equity market. Yeah, yeah. And I saw, a, I saw a tweet this morning that said the bottom will be when you decide that you can start going long and short. And yeah. I thought that was a good laugh. Yeah. But um, that's really ugly out there across all asset classes. But I think one thing that's relevant to, to crypto is uh, Terra, the, the algorithmic stable coin. There's a risk of losing its peg. I think last time I looked, uh, it was trading at 88 cents per, per dollar, which is not how a, a stable coin is, is meant to react. Maybe talk people through, just in broad brushstrokes, what algorithmic stable coins are and the significance of Terra in, in the fact that they're holding a, a heap of Bitcoin, which they're now selling to try and defend that peg. Yeah, it's been an interesting 24 hours for Terra and Luna. Um, so the, the idea is, is it, it's an algorithm algorithmic based stablecoin. Um, it's, it's meant to hold a peg to, to the US dollar. Um, it's, it's backed by an, another coin, which is, which is uh, Luna. And as, as, as demand comes in for the, the stablecoin, um, Luna gets bought and sold behind the scenes. And, and, and that's, that's there to balance the, the allocations to, to, um, to derive a, a US $1 peg at all times. Now what's happened is more recently, um, the, the Luna Foundation has started purchasing um, Bitcoin uh, in, in large amounts uh, to provide um, some safety rails ar around the market. And what's actually happened, I was chatting to a, a good friend recently and, and uh, raising some concerns about this. It all works well when the market is stable and operating fairly normally. When, when the demand for the UST stablecoin diminishes and people start to sell it, um, in order to re retain the peg, the Bitcoin that they're holding in their reserves needs to be sold as well. And, and um, unfortunately, when Bitcoin's going down as well, you end, there's this potential to end up in, a, in uh, as some people term it, a death spiral, where, where both assets are being sold in a market and, and the value of the underlying reserves is also diminishing. And I've actually seen, I think just before I came in, uh, Chris, I think it's, it's trading at around 65 cents. No which, way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And, so it's almost done. It's, it's, uh, so I think once it gets below about 0 0.5, 50 cents, uh, things can get really, uh, really over. Wow. So, so this is almost like George Soros in the early 90s attacked the right, US pound. Right. I mean, yeah. this is not as big as, you know, attacking a, a foreign government, but it's... Um, I mean, there'd be hedge funds all over this, I assume, shorting the crap out of it, because uh, they can see those points where, you know, there's strong support at zero, I guess. <laughs> yeah, look, we're very uh, grateful we, we didn't take a position uh, in, in Luna or Terra. Um, there were some pretty attractive yields, I think around 20% um, per annum on, on that. Um, and, and those yields are typically offered to sort of catalyze the ecosystem and promote growth, um, but then, you get some, some, some events like the ones we're experiencing at the moment and it really tests the, um, the robustness of the, the algorithms and the models behind them. And this is a first, so I think everyone's uh, going to learn a lot from this experience and, and we'll see what happens in coming days if they can, if they can recover from this and, and how they do it. Wow, so there's, there's a lot to, to catch up on there. So let's get into your, your protocol of choice that you want to speak about, uh, about today. Yes, yeah, Solana uh, is the one we chose. Um, my, my, my experience 
has been with with Solana um, since since early 2020. We we um, we purchased a bunch of it in about June um, and then um, layered in over coming months after that. Um, Solana's um, value proposition is really to be a, a high uh, transaction um, blockchain that can handle um, very very high um, high performance and and low uh, transaction costs. So its its um, real value prop is to, to to be a layer one blockchain without requiring a layer two blockchain to facilitate these types of transactions. So we've seen um, the Lightning uh, Network on, on Bitcoin um, really being pushed hard recently. Um, and the purpose of that, it's a, it's a layer two that sits on, on Bitcoin to allow high volume um, transactions to play out, whether they're like point of sales, merchant time transactions, or other interesting use cases that, um, that, that can, can play out on Bitcoin. Um, so, so that is where a, a transaction will happen on a, on a blockchain that is essentially um, like a satellite of the main blockchain, and then those transactions will be synced up to the layer one main blockchain. So Solana is, is building a, a blockchain that doesn't require that, so where all transactions can happen on its, um, on its uh, layer one blockchain. Um, so Solana started, um, is still in beta, started in 2020, so it's only a couple of years old. Um, growth has been astronomical and we've seen its rise um, up the up the market cap charts, I think it's around the seventh most uh, valuable um, uh, blockchain or cryptocurrency project at the moment. So it's been going well, um, but some of the scaling issues have have, have haunted it in, in recent times, as as traffic has has probably been um, uh, testing the robustness of certain parts of it. And and what we've seen um, just recently, which which has been causing a few little niggles, um, the the emergence of the NFT marketplace um, and the NFT you know um, subsector within within um, cryptocurrency has really been been going gangbusters on Solana and due to the nature of the fact that transaction fees are so low we've seen some some um, very uh, very sort of damaging botting activity that's happened more recently there was a very big uh, NFT launch big project launch and and the sheer volume of bots that attacked um, the launch to try to, to mint uh, you know large volumes of NFTs very cheaply actually brought some of the nodes down, um, which meant that we saw some um, consensus issues between nodes, and as a result, um, the the network wasn't functioning for a little while there. Um, they they're obviously working uh, as a priority to solve these issues um, uh, without needing to compromise things like the you know the underpinning performance targets and goals that they have. But um, that, that has given Solana a bit of a hit um, on top of the current market in terms of um, some of the, you know, its, its um, performance, you know, financially. Um, but we've seen this happen with Solana a couple of times now and um, the, the, the sheer, you know, growth of, of users and, and, and the community around it is very strong and it, it, it tends to bounce back very quickly. So I might dig into that in a second, but maybe just give some definitions for the viewers that are less familiar with, um, with blockchains. Uh, is it a fair mental model with the layer one and layer two that when we were on the gold standard, gold in the bank was the layer one and the cash which people were transacting with was effectively a layer two. It was cost prohibitive to go to the bank and get gold out every time you wanted to transact. So that currency that was essentially backed by gold when we were on a gold standard acted as the layer two. Is that a fair mental model for people to get their head around when they're thinking about layer ones and layer twos? Yeah, look, if we use Ethereum as a good example um, when comparing layer ones and layer twos. So Ethereum um, was one of the earlier um, layer one blockchains um, after Bitcoin. Um, it was a smart contract platform which had, gave it a range of other use cases, NFTs and decentralized finance and many others. 
But what happened as, as the sheer volume of users flocked to Ethereum, we ended up with what's called um, gas wars. So, so transaction fees on Ethereum uh, use an auction-based system. So depending on how much demand is on the blockchain at any point in time, um, fees will go up and down, um, and, and those who pay higher fees will get their transactions prioritised in the queue. Um, so what that's meant is through um, you know, periods of peak traffic, Ethereum fees can actually get really expensive on, on the layer one blockchain. Um, so as an example, you know, you might you might be um, looking to buy something off a marketplace for say fifty dollars. The transaction could cost you one hundred and fifty dollars to, to do, which just doesn't make sense. So, there's been a big push lately um, on some of those types of blockchains to build out the layer two um, satellites, as, as I was referring to them before, where you can facilitate high volume transactions and, and cheaply, um, you know, with a fraction of a cent transaction costs. And then those um, those layer two blockchains will then sync back up with the layer one to ensure you have the full, um, complete ledger and history of the transaction that's taken place. So, and so Solana's trying to do that all themselves. They're correct. A monolithic blockchain, if you like, as opposed to Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum gets described as a modular blockchain with modules built on top of it. Very much so. Solana's um, trying to provide all of that at, at the layer one level, and and it has been achieving that. Um, the, the, However, there have been some teething problems. Um, we do need to keep in mind it did launch and is still in beta mode. So that's the thing. It's, uh, it's market cap is, what, near 20 billion bucks yeah. or north of 15 billion? It's been over, <laughs> over 20 before I, I walked in. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it is strange for such a significant asset to still be in effectively in beta, isn't it? Yeah, look, they had um, initially communicated that they would come out of beta um, sort of mid to late 2021. Um, some of these, these teething issues that we've talked about here around scaling, essentially, um, did start to surface late 2021. And I think at that point they sort of said, let's, let's just put the brakes on and sort these issues out and make sure that we are ready to take on our next wave of users. Um, so then with these layer, um, so these, these next gen blockchains, if you like, and there's quite a few of them uh, emerging, Solana is, is, is probably, with, with um, Binance Smart Chain, is probably, they're probably the two main contenders to Ethereum. Um, the, the, the real focus for those blockchains is to attract users. Um, Ethereum does its job and it does it pretty well. These, these next generation of blockchains, for them to continue to grow um, the way they have been, they need to attract users, so they need to differentiate and, and this is the, the, the real value prop for Solana. It, it can do all of those things, but it needs to get better at it to, to be able to onboard the next billion users. And so you mentioned the fact that it can go down from time to time. Uh, which is a big issue, particularly when you're a layer one blockchain. Um, the criticism of Solana when compared to certainly Bitcoin and Ethereum is that it's far more centralised. And I think this is one of the things which can be frustrating in, in uh, investing. Often people are debating, and their real debate is over timeframes. One person will be saying what's going to happen in six months, one over 10 years. And in crypto, you see a lot of people debating, you know, putting a Bitcoin debate forward but talking about a completely different protocol that's trying to do something different. Um, I guess the question is, do you see that happening with these two? It's not trying to be Bitcoin, it's not trying to be a store of value, it is trying to be a protocol that people use uh, for a relatively low cost. And what measures are they perhaps putting in place to become more decentralised over time? Yeah, so touching on the decentralisation piece, it's a really interesting um, trade-off. Um, so if you look at Ethereum, for example, it's, it's very decentralised. Um, and in many ways, that's, that's, that's fantastic. But in many other ways, some of the development um, roadmap has played out very slowly as a result. Um, 
So through decentralisation, you have you know, have a, a much broader community of, of opinions. Um, that the governance around it gets more complicated, and the number of nodes that need to all be upgraded when when um, software evolves and things like that is greater as well. So what it means is you typically get very strong and robust um, decisions that are, that are, need to address a very broad set of stakeholders, um, and and that's great for the long longevity of of, of how the um, the network develops. However, the velocity to get there can of, can often be um, you know the, the downside there it can take a lot longer so so you know um, one of the criticisms around Solana probably more so a year ago was that it, it was quite or is quite decentralized um, which means that they have been able to, to iterate and evolve quite quickly um, but more recently there's been a huge push to, to get a, a lot more decentralization and what that essentially means is um, nodes that are running um, Solana and, and operating the network, um, there are a lot of them and they're spread globally um, so that if any, if any one of them goes down, it doesn't um, cause you know, detrimental issues to the network as a whole. So um, Solana is pushing very hard, has, has achieved a lot of decentralization um, recently and is pushing heavily into that space. And in terms of um, performance, um, Something, Chris, I know that you're quite um, quite interested in, uh, and where Solana and Binance Smart Chain were chosen um, uh, to, to to be the blockchain of choice is um, a project called Steppen, um, which is um, I think it was launched a couple of months ago by a, a, fantastically a team out of Australia in Adelaide, and I was having a look earlier today that um, that app, which is I think they call it Move to Earn, which is really interesting, but essentially incentivizes people to get out and and um, and be active, um, will actually earn tokens which have value behind it. They're um they're at over five hundred thousand daily active users right now, which is phenomenal mm. in a short time frame, and and it is um, probably the best blockchain first consumer app I've seen on the market. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's really... They've done a huge job, haven't they? They've done an amazing job. It, it's, um, they've really thought about the game mechanics. It's a lot of fun. Um, the, the user experience is wonderful. They've integrated their own marketplace into the product. Um, but when you think about, you know, that particular app has, you know, a, as a user, there could be tens or hundreds of microtransactions yeah. that have e happen each day. If you're out walking, you're, you're, you're earning some tokens, you might be upgrading your sneakers, these sorts of things. Um, to do that on you know, Ethereum would simply be not possible. The, the and same with Bitcoin layer one, isn't it? It's impossible totally right. buying coffees using Bitcoin layer one or Ethereum layer one. It's Correct. Just, it's never gonna. It's never gonna happen. That, that's right. So, and that's where the layer twos are, are trying to step in and solve yeah. those problems. But, but so you see this consumer app here, which is a really you know they're aiming for the mass mass consumer market. They've selected these these next generation blockchains just purely because the the transaction costs are you know a fraction of a cent, and and the performance of each transaction is you know is is able to be um, consumer grade experience, which is you know which means that if you're using a, an application, you expect something to happen within a you know a, a second. Um, otherwise, users start to lose interest. So that's that's really um, it's been a, a great um, light to shine on. I think both Australia and, and and the selection of the blockchains and the metaverse word means different things to different people. It's not like there's one def working definition of what the metaverse is, but certainly gaming and NFTs are going to be a big part of it. That feels like that's the the natural use case for Solana. I know you mentioned Stepper there, but more broadly. You know the the fact that it is uh, does have very low fees and is very quick. Are they the two use cases that you see being used by Solana mostly? Yeah, I, I think um, Solana's pushing hard to, to just onboard billions of users. That that's what they're pushing towards. And it's interesting. Um, 
one of the one of the sort of the charts that we talk about a fair bit is I think right now we've got around 300 million um, active uh, users in the cryptocurrency asset class. By the end of this decade, it should be around three and a half to four billion users. So um, we're going to see huge growth in user numbers. Um, and where are those users going to come from? It's it's gaming and, and metaverse plays. That's that's um, and it's mass adoption through consumer usage. So. Um, Look, you know, as you said, the metaverse means many things to many people. Um, to me, it's very much um, the next evolution of your traditional social networks, like a, a Facebook or a Twitter. They're moving into a virtual world, which is underpinned by um, blockchain technology and, and transactions are carried out um, using cryptocurrencies on those platforms. Now, if, if you're if you're you know moving through a metaverse and doing tens or hundreds of transactions a day. Um, you need that experience to be A, silky smooth. Um, so you, you want to be able to connect to all it up and, and almost forget about it being connected. So everything you do just happens seamlessly. And, and you want them to be cheap. You can't, you can't be spending um, you know, significant sums of money to actually have that transaction go through. Um, you, put, you probably can in DeFi potentially, can't you? Like if you're a huge investor and you're putting through, you know, an institutional investor and you're putting through millions of bucks through decentralised finance protocols, yeah. the 50 buck fee or the 100 buck fee is immaterial to you, isn't it? But it's very different at these lower value transactions which, which you touched on. Yeah, yeah quite right. Um, you know, they, they kind of refer to Ethereum as the rich man's network these days so, and purely for that purpose, if, you, if you're investing you know, tens of millions of dollars, you can absorb even a thousand dollar transaction fee. Um, if, if you're just a, you know, a bit of a weekend warrior, you know, um, doing a bit of DeFi yield farming um, and you're wanting to put in a thousand bucks or a couple of thousand bucks, hundred or two hundred dollars transaction fees is, is exorbitant. It, it's just, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, so, so DeFi is um, very established on Solana. Um, the same you know, volume is not flowing through it as it is on Ethereum. Um, but transaction fees to initiate, um, you, know, a, 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 you know, set up a, a liquidity pair in a liquidity pool, fraction of a cent. Um, every time you, you claim your yield, um, fraction of a cent. Whereas with Ethereum, um, you, you second guess every time you're doing that. You're thinking about, you know, what's the gas fee, the transaction fee today? Should I wait a little bit? Um, does it make sense? Should I, should I wait until I've got more yield to, to sort of claim these sorts of things? So it's a very different trade-off, but I think, um, to, to your point, quite right. So Solana is very much going for that mass adoption piece, and um, we think that's going to come from the, the consumer adoption, very much so. And then Ethereum will have a different use case, which is um, high-value you know, you know, um, transactions, yield farming, these, these types of things, but with much larger sums of money. Um, other interesting use cases with, with Ethereum, I think, um, I think it's Visa using it for, to, to do daily settlements. Um, and look, it, it, you know, not to discredit Ethereum, I think it's a great network. It's proven itself over time in terms of security and stability, decentralisation, all these sorts of things. Um, but right now, it's, it's very much, it is a, I think it is a bit of a rich man's network in many ways. And I've heard it put forward that... that the various blockchains are almost like digital nations and they've got their own culture and social norms, etc. And, you know, you do watch it on Twitter and they do have dis distinctive personalities. You know, the Bitcoin yeah. maxis are, are different to, you know, the Ethereum maxis to, to people who are in Solana. A, do you agree with that sort of statement? And B, if, if so, what, what type of culture exists on the, on the Solana digital nation, if you like? Yeah, I, I probably spend a little bit too much time you know, on Twitter and immersing myself in, in some of these cultures. Um, I, I'm probably Solana first myself, having been on the journey. What, what's, um, th there is rivalry, no doubt, and, and, and 
often there's some brilliant internet memes that get created um, and it can be quite entertaining. Um, one of the things that is so great about the Solana culture is um, everyone is very supportive of one another. I think this technology is so new um, and there are a lot of um, bumps along the way. You know, there's a lot of people making a lot of money, a lot of people losing a lot of money, but the, the technology and the evolution um, of it is so fast paced and everyone's learning together in these communities. So you find, um, you find people just willing to help each other and, and it's, it's unbelievable, you know, you can, you can find people who don't know each other because often, um, often the, the, the various community members and users are hidden behind a pseudonym um, on a Twitter profile and we'll spend hours um, supporting each other's projects, you know, to help solve technical issues um, or, or, you know, de debug things, um, these sorts of things. Um, and these are people that don't even know each other. They just, they just realise that, that the, the power of the network is stronger if everyone pulls in the same direction. And it's, it's quite remarkable when these people really have nothing in common other than, um, you know, a connection on Twitter and maybe, you know, invested in the same platform. Um, and this is where DAOs are very interesting as well, um, decentralised autonomous organisations where you, you can own uh, an NFT in a particular project, which is just digital art with, with some other attributes around it, connect to a, a Discord server, which is like a big chat room, and all of a sudden everyone who, who doesn't previously know each other is all pushing um, together for the same goal. And it's, it's, it's really fascinating to watch it play out and it's... Um, it's it's quite new and it's it's evolving and um, yeah I think I think it's just very very early still for for, for DAOs and, and and the communities behind them. Let's say uh, well it's as good a place any to finish. We'll let you get back to the screens and and, <laughs> and have a look at the carnage. But uh, I really appreciate you coming on on uh, on the show today. There'll be a lot of people interested to learn more about Solana. But great to get a bit of an overview over the crypto markets as well. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.